Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Where Do I Begin podcast. Um, today we are joined by a very special guest, um, one of my favourite people, and we are going to be talking about generational wealth. Um, if you're new here, I am your host, my name is Lola, um, and the reason why I've brought our guest on today is because um, the conversation around generational wealth is something that him and I have spoken about. And um, I thought it would be great to have him on the podcast, you know, to expand the conversation a little bit. Um, and hopefully it's something we can all benefit from. Um, so without further ado, special guests, would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, I'm feeling very special. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for um, thanks for that build-up. I'm Samuel Luko. Um, I am a manager at PwC. Um my job title is is very complicated so i'm not going to bore you guys with the complicated version <laughs> but like in a nutshell um i'm a banking risk and controls expert i would say um so i basically support banks just refining um their controls to make sure they stay out of trouble and maximize um their operations um I'm not a I'm not a wealth management expert, <laughs> but I I do I am quite opinionated and have strong views on some of the um, angles that we're going to talk about today. So it is really an honour to be invited on. I'm really um, excited, looking forward to the conversation, um, and I'm very passionate about the black community as well. Um, so outside of my day job, I do a lot to support our community, like young people people of all ages really um i i am the chair of the black network at pwc um so through that i'm just able to you know um make an impact and really just try and support our community and bring a, a commercial lens to good inclusion of, of that black community so so yeah that's a little intro to myself great little bit guys i hope you you realize that the resume is long very expensive. Oh, Lala, please, please, please. Well, he's please. trying to be humble today, so... I won't put him on glass, you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before we get into today's conversation, um, we're going to play a little game. Um, how do you feel about games? Oh, I like games, you know. Let's play games. Sure. Yeah, let's play a game. Let's uh, play a game cool. still. <laughs> uh, so we're going to play Would You Rather... Um, but we're going to play it slightly differently. Obviously, I will ask the question. You will tell me which one you would rather do or prefer. And then I also want you to guess um, what you think the most popular answer was. Okay, cool. Okay, does that make sense? I feel like I'm being examined here, but let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Right, cool. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Okay, cool. So the first question is, would you rather end student loan debt forever or end credit card debt forever <laughs> um end student loan debt forever and oh do i have to say why you think oh. oh no you don't have to say why but which okay, one do okay. you think is like the most um popular answer uh i think the credit card one is probably the most popular because most people probably have more credit card debt than than student loan i reckon you ready for the answer? I'm ready for the answer. I feel like I need a drum roll here, but <laughs> so your first answer was actually correct. 
Okay. And that also actually was the most popular answer. So not the credit okay. card debt. Most people actually wanted student loan debt um, okay. to be um, ended forever. But I'm going to give you some bell. Um, this question was where um, answered in America. So it was an American survey. And you know how they feel about student loans over there. So mm, yeah, <laughs> the, not the financial, exactly. The financial <laughs> structure for their student loans is a bit different mm. to what we have in the UK. So it kind of makes right. sense. No, so definitely. I'll, I'll still give you a point, you know. I'll give you a point there. You allow me. You allow me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so the second question is: Would you rather uh, win the lottery and lose all your friends, or lose all your money but find your soulmate? I know this one is a hard one for you because you got a lot right. of friends in this. Show. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my days. Um. So what was the second one? Would I rather be broke and have loads of friends? What had they were the lottery? Would you yeah. rather win the lottery and lose all your friends or lose all yeah. your money and find your soulmate? Oh right. Um I'm a softie at heart, you know, so I'm gonna go for the latter. I'm gonna go for the latter for really? the soulmate. Thing. I'm surprised. Yeah. I thought maybe the friends mm. might win this one. Nah man. I'm a you know how at you guys heart. are with your boys. <laughs> Underneath it all, we're all softies, man. <laughs> Fair enough. I hear that. So what do you think the most popular answer was? Money. <laughs> Everyone's trying to get so? their bag up. Yeah, I reckon. <sighs> it's the opposite. <laughs> really? People actually said they would rather lose all their money um, but find their soulmate. I feel like you are the money one, though, because the way you reacted, where? What do you mean? <laughs> you, said, you, you said really with your chest, like, so what are you doing? Yeah, I was I was surprised, you know, by by your response. I guess that's what it mm. was. But listen, what's your answer for that one? Wow! So now we're putting me in the hot seat. I told you, um, listen, it's a convo, it's a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one, but I think I'll go for the soulmate as well, to be honest, mm. because I feel like I'm a very resourceful individual. So I feel mm. like I'll always find ways to make money, regardless. I in fairness, though, it was like a 59%, 41% tie. So 59% mm. of people said they'd rather lose all their money and find their soulmate. And then 41% mm. said, um, yeah, they'd rather win the lottery and lose all their friends. Mm, so it's not a, it's not like a 90-10 still. No, 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 no. It was, it was neck and neck. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was neck and neck. Okay. Um... Okay, the next one, we've still got a few more to go. Would you rather um, have a job you really hate, but with a high salary, or have a job you really love with a below average salary? The latter. So, job I really love with a below average salary. Okay. I'm beginning to, I'm beginning, if I can speak the English, to notice a a theme here. You're beginning to see a bit of my character that people mm. don't really see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm noticing. What do you think the most popular answer was for this one? Um, I've been wrong on all my guesses so far on <laughs> what they think. <laughs> so I still think that people would rather have money. So I'm going to go for the rubbish job and high money. <sighs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm wrong again. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to start guessing the opposite to what I think people think. 
So if people actually think like me, then cool. You know what it is? I feel like it might just be that UK US thing. It's either that mm. or the people that completed this survey were not telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only two options. But yeah, fifty-six percent of people said um, they would um, prefer to have a job um, that they love with a below-average salary um, than mm. a job that they hate with a high salary. So that's good. That's good for them. Yeah, I think I'll be happy to do both, but the first one only for a short period of time because my yeah. peace of mind is very important. So listen, it's it's big priority for me, boy. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I think we have maybe like two more, and then we'll be done. Ah, so the next question is: Would you rather spend a million dollars on travel, or spend a million dollars on clothes? We see you dripping on the gram, so tell us. Oh my god, we are not doing that. We are not doing that. That's a good question, actually. A million? No, it's not a good question. A million on travel. A million on travel. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Actually, in terms of the million, just think which one would you rather spend your money on, traveling or clothes? Right. Maybe that makes it easier. Okay, that does make it easier. But it's still traveling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so traveling is not something I did much growing up, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So I feel like my my last year, my twenties now, and definitely my thirties, I'm gonna try and make up for that. So yeah, my mentality now is travel, 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 clothes. It's not that deep, man. I'm tall anyway, so I would have to go to the tool section. I know everything has the tool section, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why they're so paying you what they're paying you. You can afford to pay oh stuff, Caleb. Lola, you're on job today still. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll get you back. I'll get you back. <laughs> but nah, let's go for let's go for travel. Travel, okay. And what do you think the most popular answer was for this one? Travel. They they agree with me. And you're actually right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Yeah, no, you can't beat you can't beat the experience of a travel, right? Like, oh yeah, for sure. Make memories and stuff. Yeah, and you learn a lot as well, actually, from traveling. So mm, you learn about 100%. yourself, you learn about other people, other cultures. Um, so yeah, I'm mm. I'm definitely down for traveling as well. Um, for sure. Okay, so the final question in our in our game um, is: Would you rather? Hmm. Okay, this one's actually a little bit interesting. Um, would you rather go back in time to fix your biggest money mistake or look into the future um, to find out where you end up? This one is a little deep. Ooh, that one is very deep. Um... Yeah. You don't have to share what the biggest money mistake is, but if you <laughs> want to and you feel like you'd be interested, by all means, the floor is yours. All right, after the pod, after the pod, I'll share that one. Oh, <laughs> <Cool. still. laughs> um, I don't really want, I don't like the future one just from the perspective of, no, nah, I don't really like the knowing where I end up. I, I kind of like the whole um, being able to change my future. Right like through the actions I do now kind of thing or through yeah. through what I've done in the past. So I'll, I'll go for the past one. Um, and I would say people would have said the past one as well. Well, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to make it a little bit harder for you now. 
So what percentage out of 100%, what percentage of people do you think um, went with your answer? Okay, so I'm not wrong. So more people said pass. Um, and they've all been quite close. So I'd say 55. They're pretty close as well. It's actually 50-50, strangely enough. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I'm not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong as well. Um, it's 50-50. Okay. I think maybe That's some months. people... Yeah, some people probably like taking risks. Um, that mm. are not calculated risks because <laughs> mm. um, that's how I sort of see the last one looking to the future to find out where you end up I'm not sure how yeah. I feel about that as well yeah um, so we're done yeah <laughs> okay. that was fun <laughs> well I'm glad you found it fun and the last question they almost come from the mood so moving swiftly along <laughs> <laughs> okay so as I mentioned earlier guys today we're going to be talking about generational wealth um and one of my favorite quotes actually around generational wealth um is a quote by paul killick and he basically said wealth is about freedom and the financial choices we make today um ultimately will determine the quality of life we live in the future now with that quote um i was able to draw i guess um it triggered a memory, actually, let's put it that way. It triggered a memory when I was growing up because growing up, I was actually told um, getting your education would give you your freedom as opposed mm. to, you know, getting money um, would give you your freedom. Um, so I thought that that was, um, that was really interesting. Um, and the reason why I guess the old generation told me that was because they believed that, you know, with your education, once you have it, essentially you know no one can take it from you um with your education it would give you a higher chance of you know financial stability and security um as well as give you an opportunity to be self-dependent um so in line with that theme um mm. my question to you sam is if you were actually in charge of our educational system what would you change and implement to teach the next generation about money do you think it's necessary? Yes. Do you think they're doing enough or they're not doing enough? Like, mm. um, I just think that it needs to be more of a core subject. Um, money management, when we talk about budgeting and investing and um, things like the stock market and stuff like that, mm. we, that needs to be ingrained in students from a younger age, I think. Um, most teenagers get their first job like in their teen well most people get their first jobs in their teens um so with that in mind you've now got income coming in and you in some cases you've got complete freedom over what you do with your income so you know if you haven't necessarily had that baseline in in the schooling system then you could be blowing it from from early and then developing habits that follow you into adulthood if you know what I mean. So mm. I think that there's a lot of positive, um, from what I've heard anyway, because I went to a state school, but people that I know that went to a private school have had a lot of early grooming in financial literacy compared to, you know, what I had and what, you know, people around me that went to similar schools also had. Um, so if I had that power, I would definitely level the playing fields there as well in terms of I would make it more uniform, the, you know, national curriculum that is taught in every school should be, either, either we, we say that 
private schools have the best practice and then we implement that across the board so everyone has a fair access to you know the same baseline and the same amount of financial literacy from a young age um and if i'm if i have that power i put all the money that is needed into that to make sure we get you know the right upskilling for the teachers and the right teachers on board um the right resources the right you know if if you you know we're in the season of covid and whatnot at the moment or we're coming out of it so we're making sure that students all have the right access to internet at home and everything that they need sort of thing so i am investing in making sure that that playing field is as level as possible and it is in line probably with what those those private schools have um i would also again target students from an early age so i know in year two they're doing a lot of cognitive um, cognitive sort of examinations and um being assessed on on that so you know I'll tailor some of those conversations to the age of the kids but right from that age I'll be having you know quizzes around financial literacy um helping them to understand the value of needs versus wants um I'll be training the parents as well where I can you know parents evening I'll make more use of them and not in a condescending way but again just level the playing field as much as as possible some parents haven't necessarily had the time to upskill themselves in financial literacy but we always say that um charity begins at home so if you could do something with the parents as well um so that they're supplementing what happens at school at home then then that's also a positive for me wow, that was a really good answer and um, i don't even have anything to counter that um <laughs> you actually raised some really really good points um mm-hmm. and i just wanted to follow up on one of them um the one you mentioned about the people that you know um that went to private school um having mm-hmm. um i guess the benefit of being um groomed or given some level of financial literacy that mm-hmm. students that went to state schools um don't have would you say they come from quite well off families or did they get in by scholarships or yeah no it's a good question um i actually know a few that got in by scholarships um but the the, the vast majority of the black people that i know that went to private school either had you know fairly decent a family with fairly decent you know wealth or um a family that put all of their money into their kids education do you know what i mean because that in itself is an investment and I know we're going to talk about generational wealth a little bit later in terms of how how do you maintain it and build it but you know investing in your children's education can just really bring some of those intangible benefits that will keep the knowledge flowing from generation to generation so I think some some parents have realized that from an early age and any money that they got from any job they were doing however hard it was however low it was one thing that i would say africans um well some africans are really good at doing is saving maybe not so much investing but really good at saving um for a rainy day and some of those put a lot of that into their children's education so they were able to go to private school and get the benefits of that okay um the reason why i actually asked that question was um when i was preparing for this i was um, trying to find out if there was like a number 
um, when it comes mm. to like how long does generational wealth um, last for? And um, mm. the answer to this question was rather surprising. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what I found online was that it's staggering uh, 70% of wealthy families basically lose their wealth by the next generation. Mm. With 90% losing it um, the generation after that. Yeah. Um, and they also went on to say that um, obviously for you to be able to maintain generational wealth, you need to be financially savvy. Um, but something that's also important to note is that not all rich parents are passing along that yeah. financial education to their children. Um, so that's mm. why I asked earlier, like, did you say those people that went to private schools, you know, do they come from rich families or was it like a scholarship thing? Um, because I feel like yeah. sometimes if that mentality is missing at home, mm. sometimes it doesn't matter what the school does. Um, it's true. You know, it's, yeah, we see the impact essentially in society. But I saw that point about new money and old money is so interesting. Like you see so many footballers or music artists or even people win lotteries and stuff, mm. and then the money's just gone even before they've got a chance to get to the next generation. Because that that intangible, I think the intangibles, like such as financial education, values, habits. I think that is more important for maintaining generational wealth than the actual financial assets, like the the money and the property and stuff like that. Because like you said, that can go in a flash. But if you've got the mentality for knowing how to keep it and how to pass it on, and then you pass that on to your kids and that's a family tradition, then that's when you start to see some of that staying for a long time in your name. Um, so my next question are for you. Um, it's a bit interesting, um, but the question is basically, how do you start shifting your mindset um, towards giving um, when you don't have anything? Um, and the reason why I ask this is because when you listen to a lot of um, talks or motivational speeches around, you know, wealth, um, one of the things that they say um, is one of the, I guess, pillars of um, building wealth um is your ability to also be generous um mm. which i think funny enough ties in with a verse in the bible in proverbs that basically says a generous person will prosper um whoever refreshes others will be refreshed and um, so it's almost like when you're being generous and when you have a given nature right it comes back to you um kind of thing um mm. so i just wanted to know like what your thoughts are around you know, um, shifting your mindset towards still being a giver, even if you don't feel like you have a lot to give, or if generosity doesn't come to you as like a natural thing, like how can you be um, a bit more intentional about being a giver? Um, yeah. Mm. I would say um, the first thing to do is just define a personal purpose. So almost understanding your why, and this even goes beyond you. This goes before you thinking about why you're giving someone money. Just understand, not necessarily from a religious perspective. I'm, I'm a Christian, so for me, it'll be religious. But even if you're not religious, everyone has a personal purpose for why they do what they do. And that drives their, their mission, their values and all of that. So define your personal purpose. And within any purpose, giving can be sort of an associate of that do you know what i mean if if your purpose is to support the youth help 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 people or 
you know, come up with a really cool technology, you can always find an angle within that for giving. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it can it can all it can always be um it can always sort of relate. So for me it's understanding that why and um and not really deterring for it, not necessarily wanting anything back from it as well. So um I know you just mentioned about, you know, so a wealthy person um needs to get into that mode of of giving and, and understanding that it will come back. But even if it doesn't come back, once you've got that purpose, then you understand that you're getting fulfillment from from that giving. And then, you know, that will that will almost shift your mindset to um to feeling like I've done what I need to do and I'll go on to the next thing or whatever happens, happens sort of thing. That's my perspective anyway. Yeah, I mean I totally agree with that as well. Um I think um something that's also I guess interesting about the whole giving thing is sometimes you know, you giving doesn't necessarily have to be financial. Um, it could be your time as well. It could be sharing knowledge, um, which is something that I know is lacking in our community um, mm. when it comes to this whole wealth conversation. Um, there are lots of information out there, but there are also lots of misinformation. Um, so mm. I know, like, that was one of my key goals, you know, with this podcast. Um, it's sort of my way of um, giving back to the community. And, um, you know, mm. some of the things that I know now are things that I paid to go to uni to study. <laughs> and I'm out here giving it for free. I'm nearby yeah. always coaching people for free. And sometimes people <laughs> don't necessarily like, you know, embrace mm. the work that you're, you know, putting in to be like, look, I'm trying to put you on game here. Yes, um, <laughs> and you often see people, you know, fall for the hype of this um I guess these um investment gurus and some of them know what they're talking about, but others I just I just know very few. Yeah, like, it's just what we're doing. <laughs> Listen, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. But that's such a good point about um, non-financial giving. Um, mm. That's something that I think, again, is is a real bedrock to, you know, advancing our community to the next stage. It's it's some of those intangible gains that that's where we really need to be. And sometimes I feel like even with financial giving, um, it can be a hindrance for some people. Because um, some people can really get used to you, like, just giving them stuff financially that they now no longer have the motivation to, you know, mm. go out and get it themselves or, you know, work hard. Um, and I feel like people can easily fall into the mentality of, well, this person will give me, so it's okay for me to just receive the average, essentially. Um, yeah. You know, that drive. Um, could potentially be missing. Um, so whilst I think you know financial giving is, is definitely something we should do, um, mm. I also feel like we shouldn't do it to a point where people become so dependent on that that they don't yeah. go out and you know do things mm. themselves as well. So, and you see it with sorry, I know we're pushed for time, but I just completely agree. Like you see it with angel investing and things like dragons. Then, like the reason they're able to command such a high percentage of someone's entire business that they put all their money and their IP into is because they're not just giving their money and saying go away. They're bringing their expertise, they're bringing their connections, they're bringing their experience, and that again is is an extremely important thing to to have on board. And it really just takes you that next level than if I just gave you X number of money, um, it's, it's not as valuable. 
totally agree. Um, so on to uh, my next question. <laughs> another interesting one. Um, so being that the age of 30 um, is the magic number, you know, when society hmm. sort of expects us. <laughs> <laughs> Any 30 year olds in the house? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Sing come, sing come, sing come. I'm still a big girl. I don't know what you're talking about. Is that what we're um, telling ourselves, yeah? Yes, I am still 25. What do you Me mean? Me too, my baby boy, please. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so being that the age of 30 essentially is the, is the magic number where, or the magic age <laughs> where society expects us to have everything together. Um, particularly mm. in the areas of career and finance, um, what three things would you do financially, knowing what you know now as far as you know financial literacy is concerned? So if you were to do that mm. a decade ago, and look at you know maybe your spending habits, for example, or you know just your relationship with money in general. Um, what three things um, would you do now, having the benefit yeah. benefit of hindsight, basically? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a few obvious ones, but I'll try and be not obvious. I mean, an obvious one that I would definitely do is I'd spend more time researching the stock market and understanding the stock market from an earlier age. A lot of things, it's never too late. You could always start now, but I always think the earlier you start, the better. Um, because then, you know, time value of money and, um, if you had put stuff down, then, and you take a look at how much it's worth now, you know, it can make a big difference. So if I understood the stock market from an earlier age um, and got into investing as soon as I started working, as opposed to just that mentality of just trying to save and um, and not always being successful, um, then, yeah, I think I'd be much better off financially. Um an unusual one, I'd I'd go into tech, so I would I would study something like computer science, um, because I just feel like tech is the gateway to wealth for the black community. I feel like that's really? where that's yeah yeah I feel like that's where we all need to be, and I think the beauty of tech as well is that you can find tech in everything, and I think mm. people don't really realize that as well, like anything you're doing now there's tech you, there, there's a tech to be found in it that you can get involved in do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um whether that's manufacturing financial um financial services anything there's tech there um so i would i would like have loved to understand sort of those technical bits a bit more so the cloud and stuff like that because now I do some stuff with tech as part of my day job, but it's more from the consulting side, which is completely fine. Um, but it would be amazing to understand that as well. And again, I, I really encourage everyone, especially young people, to at least have an understanding of, of tech because I really think that's just where, where the future is. And um, yeah, that's where, that's where our pathway to, to wealth creation exists, in my opinion. Um, and a random one, <laughs> I'll I'll get on the council on the council um, council flat waiting list from when I as soon as I could. So I would apply maybe age sixteen, mm-hmm. um, and I'll get on that because even if you get one of those ten years later, um, you can you can get really good properties in and we're, we're from Southwark as well. So you can get good, really good properties there. 
that you could then invest in and then you know get at a cheaper price and then have as have as a property if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and then potentially have a second property as you go into into other real estate and whatnot so that's something that I regret because I know other people that did that and yeah. the houses that they own now in Peckham which is basically central London that everyone wants to live in and they're getting at such a cut price central London guys did you hear that? central London come on <laughs> that's where the place to be is still um so yeah I, I would have done that and it's an indirect you know avenue to wealth but I think that's something that I could have been quite easily done as well, and I just missed the mark there. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting actually. You brought up the whole um, council flat thing, and that was something that someone did mention to me um, when I was younger. Mm. But I don't so, know; it wasn't given, um, <laughs> so I never really went for it. Um, but also, I think, I think, I think maybe this also has to do with my mentality a little bit as well. Um, mm. Like because a part of my um early childhood slash growing up was in Nigeria, there was no such mm. thing as the welfare state. Um, mm. so to me, when I moved here, it was just a very foreign idea to me. Um, so even when I went through periods where I wasn't working, I didn't apply for like job seekers allowance, and people were like, "What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? Mm. <laughs> you paid your taxes, you know, in your um, when you were still working, and you know, essentially mm. this is your right kind of thing." So. Yeah. I feel like maybe part of the reason why some people don't go the council estate as a way to invest in real estate is because of that mentality as well. They're just not used yeah. to the idea of like getting something from the government, quote unquote. But yeah. if you're a working person and you know you're not lazy and you've paid your taxes, if you're right, mm. like, it's actually okay. Um, and if you don't become dependent on it, then you know, mm. it's all good, essentially. But, and I think cult- culture. Sorry, I know I interrupted you, but I know culture just plays such a big impact on um, on financial management, and we won't go into it too deep. But there's there's some ingrained things that we've got from our parents' generation who were just living a very different time, um, and very much in some cases was about survival, as opposed to to now, where I feel like there's a baseline where we can potentially take more risks and um, and just explore different avenues. Like I said, tech, for example, is not really something that was pushed or championed. It was be a doctor. It's the, the famous <laughs> for doctor, lawyer, what's the other one? Um, but a lot, engineer. Literally, <laughs> literally. But a lot of it comes down to, you know, they've come to this country and, like, they, are, they want their kids to go into a profession that is going to guarantee them stable income for the rest of their career because someone will always need a doctor or a lawyer, all of those other things. Um, and you will always have a comfortable salary. Whereas if you're going to tech or um, other things that, you know, like other things that people go into now kind of thing, um, it's not a guarantee of income. So I understand the mentality there, but I just feel like now we're at a place where we can take more risks. Yeah, I mean, I have to even commend you on the tech point because that's not something I had ever heard or even thought about. <laughs> mm. um, and when you think about it, like, 
technology and the evolve, um, the evolving of technology. Mm. I hope that is the correct grammar to use. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but um, it's here to say, like, it's, tech is actually not going anywhere. Like, it's literally going to be a part of our lives, you know. Mm. It was only, like, a few months ago I was seeing all this um, AI, you know, robots that pretty much have similar mannerisms to, like, human behavior. Yeah. Scary, but... The point is, tech is here to stay, and you don't have to necessarily go the AI direction, but um, mm. that is something to definitely look into. Um, so I think that was a great point um, that you brought up about tech, because most people wouldn't even think about that at all. Um, so yeah. Okay. Um, well, the obvious answers that you were also avoiding <laughs> would be to the typical one, which is to spend less than you earn. I think that's mm-hmm. pretty obvious. Um, start investing early, um, which you kind of mentioned when you said to start learning about the stock market a bit early on. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, which you sort of mentioned, was like you know the council flats and you know having that as a way to earn passive income. So it's mm. basically earning um, earning more, which you can do through multiple streams of income. So whether that's you know investing in real estate um, or having like a side hustle um, or side business um, you can multiply your income that way um, as well and for those who are interested in investing in real estate but cannot be bothered with the hassle of bad tenants there is another way for you to invest in real estate um, on the stock market I did speak about this in season one so go check out that episode I spoke about real estate investment trusts um, so that's something you can either check out or just do your Googles. Um, there's lots of information out there um, regarding that. Um, so moving on. You're really, ble- yeah. you're really, you're really blessing them, boy. You're really giving them the nuggets. <laughs> they say, so, yeah. you guys, get on it, get on it, ASAP, ASAP. <laughs> Thank you. You know what? Yeah, I feel like this podcast is one of those ones that people will come back like years down mm. the line and be like, oh my god, I wish 100. I. <laughs> literally, literally. But, um, yeah, so anyway, I hope somebody that's listening will, will, will take action. You know, I'm gonna share it with everyone, don't worry. Oh, thank you, Sam. We don't really have to do that, but I do appreciate it. I got you, I got you. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so, um, moving on to my next question, um, what conversations, um, if any, did you have with family or parents about money growing up? I feel like you've sort of touched on this a little bit. Um, mm. which was that we were pretty much told to save. That's what I also grew up learning. Nothing about investing, just save up your money, um, which is not a bad thing because I feel like you do yeah. need to have some savings as well as some investments. But, um, yeah. Were there any other conversations you sort of had? It was um, mainly that, you know. It was mainly, you know, make sure you save your money. <laughs> and don't spend <laughs> your money, all of that. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's definitely a positive, but I feel like, you need to have a whole suite of actions um, to really, truly build that that wealth and investing is a really big part of it. And I just did not really know much about it until my 20s. Even now, I'm still really trying to get into it. I'm not even really into it properly. Um, but yeah, I feel like my parents did a lot of things. Just They just did it and didn't tell me why. Like, for example, they were just not buying me the clothes I wanted or the... the the, the once I never had that conversation I mentioned earlier about needs versus wants. Right. It was just you're having this, and I just had resentment because I wasn't. It wasn't Aww. explained. You know what I mean? It wasn't explained like why we have made this decision. It's just the decision okay. was made even even until later years. So when I started working, I think I started working sixteen. Um, okay. Just got a little job. Um, 
I was like, you're not having my bitch. I take my money. I was like, no, <laughs> all the money that you guys don't want to give me, and that, like, like you lot are trying to act like you're broke or whatever. Like, I know you've got money, and you're not yeah. explaining why you're not spending it on me and my brothers. Now I've got mine. I'm just gonna spend. So, um, I would say that's definitely somewhere that you know I will try and you know learn, and for my own kids that I have, yeah. I'll just try and have those conversations from such a young age that these are all the routes to, you know, building wealth. It's, it's about budgeting, it's about um, investing, and it's about saving as well, and it's about other things. Um, but, yeah, with them, it was mainly just don't spend your money. Like, spend the minimum you can. <laughs> that's, that's not always the best route, I don't think. Yeah, I was going to say, I agree with that. Um, whilst, you know, you should definitely... I feel like what they were trying to teach you is by this to wash it. Um, mm. Also, like, not um, not being frivolous with your spending, if that makes sense. Um, but mm. I feel like sometimes when you're too strict on the only buy what you need, never mm. what you want, um, you don't really get to enjoy life. Um, not to be morbid or anything, but once you live here, you're not taking the money it's to true. the growth of it. Like, <laughs> you know, so no, it's true. I feel it's like true. you do need to get a, a balance of um, of needs and, and wants. Um, I don't think Definitely. it should be all in one direction, only by what you need and what you want doesn't matter. I feel like there needs to be um, you know, a pretty good balance of both. Um, but, you know, I feel like that, that would have given you some level of discipline with how you spend your money now. So they weren't completely wrong, but... Yeah. No, absolutely not, yeah. No, it's, it set good values. Um, I think growing up, like, when you're more immature, I think there's a, a, a way, again, that you, you tailor it to younger people. Oh, yes, and and yes. that's what I'm talking about, the school and the whole... Everything needs to come together and mm. build up that financial literacy. And I'm sure if they had explained it to you, I don't know, maybe you may have understood it, but then you may have also had moments where you're like, I hear you, but I still want the Air Force ones. <laughs> literally, literally, literally. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, on to my next question. Um, how do you think we can create slash maintain generational wealth, in your opinion? Um, so, get a good accountant. <laughs> Um, but no, there's, there's loads of, there's loads of, um, ways. So things like getting a good, getting life insurance is extremely important. Um, because it just makes sure that, you know, your family is looked after, after you've gone writing a will as well. Um, really make sure again that your assets go where you want it to go. But there's a lot of things around tax as well that, people are not always necessarily aware of um, in terms of inheritance tax is crazy. Um, And also if you transfer assets to, you know, your offspring or your beneficiaries um, before you pass, and I don't mean to be morbid, but death is really something that, again, we need to plan for really, really hard from a, financial management perspective mm-hmm. um but yeah like if you transfer assets to your kids or anything like i think it's seven years before you pass then it has an impact from a tax perspective and whatnot so one one way around that is actually buying like for example if you're buying a house you could buy it in your um, so i i know of people that have done that especially in like other countries um 
parents will buy buy the the house and literally the name on the agreement or whatever is their kid. So you know, there, there's no one saying, "Oh, this is transferring when the person has passed," and these are all of the um, the liabilities that you now have, sort of thing. So that's potentially a way a way around it. Um, Putting money in a trust also helps. So, um, so yeah, that money's looked after. I think getting your pension right as well is something that's quite underrated. And again, it's something that I wish I understood earlier. Um, not always just. We still got. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm still early thirty. I'm still early thirty. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. But yeah, like I think a lot of people just allow the firm or their company to just do the default and invest it. In fact, understanding even what a pension is and how it works, um, people don't always know that, you know, the money that's put aside for you is not just kept there um, in a in a bank somewhere because it will devalue over time. Um, so what a company will do is they'll invest it for you in different funds. Um, and they, see, they even invest in different types of funds depending on your age. So if you're far away from retirement age, they'll invest your pension in like really big growth funds that, you know, it will really increase the a value. Um, and then as you're nearing retirement, they'll make less risky inv- um, investments mm-hmm. just so that, you know, they're not taking that risk of losing all your money so close to when you need it. But if you are clued up in you know, the stock market and the best funds to actually invest your money in, then you could actually take charge of that yourself. You could say, no, 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 I want my money to be invested in these funds. Um, And then literally you're generating that passive income already for when you retire, which you can then pass on to your kids when when you pass and whatnot. So that's definitely something that, you know, um, can help build generational wealth. But there's loads of things, and again, I think that intangible thing is is really important. Um, so investing in your kids' education. Um, also, if you have a business, um, really upskill your kids in your business from early. Like, again, sorry again to mention death, but there's a um, company, Albins and Sons, who have been running since the 1970s. Um, and I remember speaking to like the person that was embalming one of the bodies or whatever can't have been more than like he was a kid basically. And I, I was thinking to myself, like, wow, you are like that comfortable around a dead body to be embalming it from that young age. But that's the family business. Like that person has been groomed to do that from young and the company turns over millions. So you see it in school sometimes some some kids are not serious they're just there like rude and distracting or whatever but Mm. they're comfortable because their family knows that all they need to do is just go to compulsory education till they're 16 then they're coming to join the family business and they're Mm. set for life and their kids are set for life so if you have any business then really get your kids working on it from young and just teach them the tricks of the trade um so that that can be passed on. There's more, but let, let me leave it there. Still. Oh yeah, there's definitely more. <laughs> but honestly, you've hit all the all the important ones. Um, you mm. get those points. Um, the only thing I would just add on the on the pension side as well is um, 
you know, just because your company is certified, a certain percentage from your salary towards your pension does not mean that's where it has to end. Um, if you have a little bit of cash, you know, spare at the end of the month, you can make additional contributions as well. So um, I think sometimes people also just rely on, you know, the pension funds. The percentage has already been taken out and they don't bother, you know, making additional contributions. So, um, yeah, that's something else to essentially keep in mind. Um, so this takes us to my next question. Um, why do you think generational wealth is important? Um, it, it gives you more options in life, really. Um, if, you're, if you have money, then you have less worries um, around how you're going to pay your utilities and, and all sorts of things. Um, they say money is not like, you know, money doesn't equal happiness, but mm-hmm. money can give you peace of mind in, in, in some ways. And um, from a mental perspective as well, you, you don't want to feel like you're, if, you, if you're to pass, you're leaving your offspring and your family with any, any burdens or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, I think for me, in a nutshell, I think that's, that's really what it is. It just gives you more options in life. Um, I totally agree. Um, honestly, sometimes it's not everyday worry about money. Um, but if you're well, if you're well set up for life, then that's something you don't have to worry about. Like, you know, paying bills, you know, that that's paid for, <laughs> you know? Literally, um, you're good. Yeah, I mean, it just gives you access to more resources as well. So um, mm. I think it's definitely something important that we need to start taking seriously, um, particularly in our community. Um, mm. So that takes me to my next question, which is um, how much of a role do you think racism and discrimination um, <laughs> plays when it comes to building wealth in the black community? It's just got so much historical con- context. Um, dates right back to slavery. I mean, you know, black slaves weren't, they didn't own anything. They, they didn't own themselves. Like, even even the kids that they had weren't theirs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They were having kids to become slaves. Um, and that context is so important because when slavery was abolished, mm. there was hundreds of years of um, catching up that we needed to do, but it's not even it's not even catching up in a sense of, all right, the the white like white people are going to stand still now so that we can catch up. No, there's mm. years of intangible um, benefits that they've got from that head start. And they're now in those positions of power. Like, for example, I always say um, a company, let's say a a really big FTSE 100 company now has Mm -hmm. a CEO that is, you know, let's say it's got a CEO that's white. And you date right back to the start of that company that was, you know, built by someone who, again, was white. Um, Naturally, you're going to want to, when you're retiring and you're passing on to the next person, you're going to want to give it to someone that you see as another version of yourself, a younger version of yourself. So you, you think to yourself that, right, I've built this company, we're turning over X amount, we're doing really well, and that was under my stewardship. I don't really want difference to come in 
and that's more of a risk. Do you know what I mean? So there's been years and years and years of CEOs in FTC 100, I assume, just passing on to people that look like them, look like them, look like them. And because that starting point, we didn't even have the chance to get into those places because we we weren't even allowed to get jobs. We, we didn't have access to banking, loans, real estate. We just didn't have anything. Um, <laughs> we couldn't do anything, literally. It's manifested in what we see today because, mm. again, it's just been passed down through generations. Ideologies, of, ideology, uh, ideologies have been passed down through generations mm. as well. Um, and yeah, like when when you don't have that generational wealth as well, mm. it means when there's things like a financial crisis, um, it adversely impacts people mm. that don't have that that safety net to fall upon, that money in the bank in sitting in the savings to rely on for if there's a pandemic and, you know, we can't work. If you if you don't have that money there, then it's going to impact you worse than, you know, people um, that have got that. And also when there's times of economic opportunity as well, if you don't have any any finances to rely on, then again, it's, it's just not going to, there's an inequality there. So the historical context is so relevant for today because, again, those intangible thoughts have just been passed down and it manifests in all aspects of society. For sure. And um, following on from that, actually, this links to my, my next question. Um, but over there, <laughs> <laughs> the next question. Um, obviously, you, you spoke about you know slavery and you know essentially the, the black family being um, <sighs> been ripped apart <laughs> because they didn't own themselves, they didn't own their kids, and instead they were owned, they were the property. Um, so now, bringing it to 2022, um, in your opinion, do you think having a traditional nuclear family is crucial? To building generational wealth or is something that people from single you know parent households can also you know attain um and then the other side of that question is um okay we don't have a traditional family you know do your friendship groups you know or the community you have around you is that important as well like when it comes to building wealth like what are your thoughts on those two sides of the coin basically yeah um, in my opinion, I don't think the nuclear family necessarily directly impacts your likelihood of building generational wealth. Um, because I've said this word so much, but I think the intangible um, aspect of wealth is just as important as the sort of um, actual physical money and all of that. And you know, you could have a single parent, and there are many people from single parent households um, that you know have gone on to to build wealth and pass that on, and it's gone down through generations and whatnot. Um, I think sort of literature and history dictates that kids from um, double parent married parent households do better in school and whatnot. I just think it's very case by case. Um, it is very case by case. You've got lots of people from that buck the trend there. Um, but I think the community aspect is far more important. I think, you know, to build this community, this black community, we really need um, 
a lot of things to to go right. So we need um, investment. Um, so we need we need our community leaders and you know people that that have money and whatnot to invest in the community um, from a financial perspective and from a creating opportunities. Um, people that have success should really look internally first, in my opinion. Um, we can take a, a lot of leaves out of um, sort of South Asian communities and Jewish communities books where, you know, it's really, it's us first. It's, it's looking after our own. Um, black people, I would say, are at the bottom of the, the ladder where, 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 you know, society cares about and no one is going to willingly want us to jump above them. So it's really about us supporting ourselves and um, and really just resolving any differences and, and thinking about the bigger goal. Um, we have to strongly we have to strongly oppose this BAME term, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, you are going to shake pages on my podcast. So right. It has to be strongly fought because, I mean, black people were in the or the minority in so many communities and spaces but we've got a very loud voice even though we're so small <laughs> and it's like where you shout about BAME if, if a company is saying we've got five percent BAME at the moment and we want to double that to ten but one percent of the five is is ba- is black within your BAME <laughs> what what happens is that black people will shout 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 the company will say all right fine we'll double it to ten but then you're doubling it in the same proportion. So it's going to 2% black and 8% whatever else is in BAME, because I don't even know at this point what the end is. <laughs> <laughs> but those people are benefiting from us shouting. Where, mm-hmm. and we're, like I said, we're such a minority. If they shouted at the VIN that we shouted, then imagine what tables they could check. And they just have completely different experiences to us do you know what I mean I don't really like to talk about struggle too much I like to focus on positive but I I don't I just really feel like other communities really pick and choose when when it suits and um and for that black people really need to look internally first fight BAME with all its might and just say look like it's black and we're supporting ourselves first well, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Like you really taking the table, I'm just trying to recover. Like Oh wow. Um fight babe. Um, March thirty first, ten twenty nine. I hear that. Fight um, babe. Fight. <laughs> I hear that. Um you know, you actually uh, raised a lot of um a lot of good points. Um you know, one of the things I picked up on um, that you said is the whole, you know, us investing um, in our own communities. Um, I think that needs to go beyond Black Panday. I know we all love Black Panday um, when it happened. <laughs> and um, we don't hear as much noise about Black Panday anymore. But I feel like when it comes to putting money back into our community, it actually needs to be a lifestyle thing. It can't just mm. be somebody came up with this whole theme of Black Day, so we've done our bit and that's it. You know, mm. I consciously make an effort, you know, to buy from black businesses, you know, whenever I can, mm. especially if it's a quality business. Mm. You know, I, I consciously make that effort. Um, 
also with that, when I'm buying from a black business, I do not try to price them down. Um, I yeah. know us Africans, especially, we've grown up in a culture where, you know, if someone tells you this is the price of something, you must price it down. It's too expensive. Oh, man. Um, and whilst I, I, I know where that's coming from, because, you know, some people will obviously charge you prices that don't make sense. But I think we're all old enough to know when someone is giving you a price for a product or service that is it's a bit outrageous. You know that. Mm. Um, but, you know, when they're actually giving you a price that makes sense, just 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 pay the Just you know, pay it, yeah. Yeah, like, like, yeah, because I don't see how we can be saying we, we want to, you know, strengthen the black pound or the black dollar or but then you're trying to price down the product or service from your own. Like it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like it just yeah. sounds like a contradiction to me. So um, I think mm. that's something else that um, we can definitely do better on. Mm. Um, sure. And then in terms of um, you know the the mentality side of things, you mentioned about you know how we can learn from you know, the Jewish. Um, for example, I mean, if you look at the richest men in the world, you will always find a Jewish, <laughs> a Jewish person there, or at least someone of Jewish descent there. That's not by accident. Um, no. You know, they have some 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 great principles that they've passed on um, through generations within their community, and I feel like one of the reasons why we as um, a black community are very behind is. Um, we have a very individualistic nature. Even though we talk about community a lot, I feel like a yeah. lot of times when people make it, that's it. Like they just look after themselves and their family, and that's it. They don't care about nobody else. <laughs> they don't look to the left. They don't look to the mm. right. Um, mm. And they're just like, I've achieved my goal, and that's it. Um, yeah. and, I, and I don't know if some of that is us still sort of going through the PTSD from like, you know, the whole slavery. And, inequality um thing and where we have this like distrust with each other to the point where we can't look at another black person and be like you know what i've got into this to this uh position where i know i can bring another black person up um mm. you know I, I think that's something we should definitely look into like why do we distrust each other why do we not have um that desire to sort of you know help um, one another um yeah and then the final thing I wanted to touch on again, which you mentioned, uh, was the, the intangibles. Um, those are definitely very, very important. Um, and one thing I would recommend um, for people to do is watch a movie called The Banker. Um, mm. This ties into the first part of the question where I was asking if um, a traditional or nuclear family nuclear is basically, family. yeah, critical to, um, to building generational wealth. Um, without giving like too much of the movie away, um, but one of the key key things that I took from the movie was um, the wife of like one of the men. You know, one of the qualities that she had was she didn't just um, love and support her husband just by mouth. You know, you can be very encouraging to somebody, and you know, she gave them so much love. You know, he had a business that obviously was trying to get um, get started up. Um, but one thing she also did that I thought was very important was she made it her business to know the, at least the basics. She did a bit more than the basics, but she made it her business to at least know the basics of her husband's business. You know, mm. she made sure she had conversations about what his purpose was, what his vision was. And then she, she um, from having those conversations, she was able to see what skills she had and figure out a way that she can actually help him in action. You know, um, at some point she actually connected him with um, 
another another um, I guess another guy or another another man who then later on became his business partner and they did amazing things together. Um, huh? So I feel like even with within our choices, whether that's um, you know marriage choices or friendship choices or just the people around us, I think we need to just be be a bit more intentional um, mm. about you know those those kind of choices and the people that we have around us um, mm. because I feel like that plays a great deal as well in terms of like your mentality and you know how you mm. make decisions and how you see life and you know um, yeah giving people encouragement or supporting them by word of mouth or you know however healthy support people it's great um, but sometimes let there be some actions you know behind hmm. your, your words like what skills do you bring to the table anybody can encourage anyone I can go on Google now or YouTube and watch a motivational video that might encourage me but you need to be able to do a bit more than that um, yeah. so I think that that's something else that could definitely um, be very useful um, a good point very good point don't think about that yeah, because when you think about it, like if someone has the same vision as you, or even if they don't have the same vision as you, but they believe in what you do and they genuinely love you, like they would, you know, do their best to be there for you in a way to make sure you accomplish that goal, at least as much yeah. as within their power anyway. And if you're a decent human being, you do the same thing to them. Um, and I feel mm. like that's a good way for us to sort of build each other up in, in, in our community, whether that's, you know, in a marriage or in a friendship or whatever, for example, you know, um, years ago when I was um, uh, working in events, um, mm. one thing that I did was I put together like a business expo. Um, at the time, I was working as a makeup artist. I had a friend who was doing hair. I had another one who was doing makeup. And I just brought the idea to them that, guys, we're small businesses. How about we do this expo, put ourselves out there? And, um, yeah, it was very successful. You know, people were able to get their names out there. And even from doing the expo, um, some of the friends I did the the, the expert with, um, what they were doing, it was it, it was areas that they knew that they had skills in, but they didn't realize, or they didn't think about turning it into a business. Does that make sense? Mm, and yeah. from just doing that and having those conversations, you know, um, they were able to be like, oh, actually, I can I can do this as a business, and you know, they're doing great now. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm no longer in events; I've moved on to other things. But sometimes that might just be, um, you know, your role within a friendship, you know. Um, having conversations that maybe people haven't thought about before um, mm. to, you know, um, for them to essentially just see other, other ways that they can either be better as an individual, whether that's, I don't know, <laughs> financially or whatever the case might be. But, mm. you know, and, and they'll do the same for me as well. So if, if there was an area that, you know, they see that I'm not maximizing, for example, you know, they will tell me, I, I have this kind of friendships that are open and, behind that I, I feel like we're playing catch up and I just 
I really want to say I see it, but it's it's a struggle. The youth yeah. generation work is something we can definitely attain within the black community. Yes, but it'll take time, in my opinion. I don't know if it'll be my lifetime. Um, yeah. Well, generational wealth is a is a generational thing anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the mindset shift will happen in our generation. Um, you made such a good point earlier about people sometimes, and I think this is especially the older generation of black pe- successful people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they think they sometimes. Um, I get an impression from older people that see younger people just shining authentically, not changing who they are to, and still being successful. I feel a little bit of resentment sometimes from that generation, especially let's say people that are relatively successful there um, from their generation. And I think that all ties to a mentality that exists in an older black generation um, of I've paid my dues, I've had to struggle. Anyone that has to, anyone that's going to succeed, has to also have gone through this struggle. Right. I've had to change who I am. I've had to not enjoy work. I've had to have people call me X, Y, Z. And these right. young people think they can just come and not have it. Do you know what I mean? Like right. leave leave the company if if it doesn't, it's not in line with their values, or if they're not doing this or whatever. Right. And I think again some of that will leave with their generation when that retires. I think we have a lot more of a positive mindset. I think we're a lot more, I think we understand a lot more that, you know, um, it's not that one person, there's only space for one person up there. Like when we're up there, we have influence and we have a say, do you know what I mean? To say that, right, I'm here. You guys have always said, I want a younger version of me to join me. All right, I'm saying I want a younger person from Peckham as well to come and be the next Sam, do you know what I mean? Be the next Lola. Like, so I think the reason that I'm optimistic is because we definitely have skills, we definitely have competencies, mm-hmm. we have networks, and we have wealth in our community. We yeah. have all of those things, and we just need to adapt our mentality to say charity actually begins at home so mm-hmm. we actually just need to use all of those four things to better ourselves yeah. like you said it needs to go beyond black pound day it needs to go into you know building our businesses you look at things like google facebook all of those things like those are obviously giants but mm-hmm. they were actually one day they were actually just one guy with an idea like do you know what I mean some some neat that was there with with an idea that no one was really really trying to back so we need to really see our businesses as our gateway to um to to where we can you know expand in the future like venture capital money I read somewhere that there was that out of venture cap out of all venture capital funds only one percent goes to black founders so our entrepreneurs can't even get access to those networks to to grow our potential Googles. So we need to really push for that change. And then once we get that money, we need to grow our businesses and create jobs for our people, keep everything in house as much as obviously it's important to have allies and like and mm-hmm. you know the network as well of um non black people, but we really do need to 
prioritize ourselves and build our own communities we look at other communities they have a common shared goal i don't know what it is in the jewish community i don't know what it is in the muslim community but i know that there are a lot more aligns in their thinking than black people um so i don't know if it's we need a leader that everyone rates or a thing that everyone can at least get behind but yeah we need we need to really find what our niche is and just like be be the be the experts in that so what do black people really love doing we like partying all right cool let's own all of the partying ticket like space that that market do you know what i mean Let, let's find a market and and bring tech into it as well and really just make sure we own that like we're the people that people go to for knowledge that other people can benefit from from our knowledge and um and just keep like passing on that knowledge to the next generation giving them a bit a bigger platform to innovate um and yeah like i'll be watching from heaven when but it'll take a long time it'll take a long time but um but yeah like it can happen still i believe you um definitely giving me some hope because sometimes i just i get tired honestly i'm not gonna lie to you i just i just get tired because it's like conversations are great but how many people are actually acting on these conversations that we're having that we're bringing to the table um so mm-hmm. i'm hoping that when people sort of listen to today's um podcast um yeah they'll feel inspired and motivated to actually do something um mm-hmm. about it but um yeah guys check out the movie the banker like it really ties into a lot of the things sam has also just said um so definitely check that out and um thank you sam for joining me today Lola, thank you thank you so much for inviting me i've had a brilliant time and again i honestly mean it this is an amazing platform that what you're doing is so important we need more of you do you know what i mean because this is an intangible that people can really really benefit from um so yeah i'm gonna share it and thanks again for inviting me yeah, um, yeah you've, you've come up with a lot of um, interesting points and ideas that I feel like people can definitely benefit from. So we definitely need more of you too, Sam. <laughs> so don't just leave me out here in the field to do all the work. Um, but yeah, thanks again for joining me. Where can the people find you? Uh, me, I'm LinkedIn. I don't really know the audiences of this, but anyway, I'm not private with any of my stuff. So LinkedIn, I'm Samuel Aluko, um, last name A-L-U-K-O. Um, and Instagram, I'm Sam underscore Aluko. So you can find me there as well. Alright, uh, thanks again guys for listening. Please like, comment, share, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. And um, yeah, I'll see you guys soon on the next episode. Take it easy guys, bye.